Now, this morning, we are starting a new series in a study through the book of First Peter, and I'm excited about that. If you have your Bible with you or your Bible app, you can open up to First uh, Peter. Let's talk about First Peter. First Peter is a letter that was written by Jesus' apostle Peter, and it was sent to a bunch of Christians who were scattered all over the Roman Empire in the time of the first century. And it's kind of a cool letter because we know a lot about the Apostle Peter from the Gospels. And we know a lot about him from the Book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. But I want to just give you a little snapshot of Peter's personality and his life before we read the letter that we're going to gain all kinds of good information from. So let me just give you three quick snapshots of Peter's life. First one is from the Gospels. This is from Matthew chapter 16 starting in verse 21, Peter's encounter with Jesus. He kind of puts his foot in his mouth. He kind of gets it wrong here. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Yikes. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to lose their life will whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's snapshot number one. Snapshot number two comes on the night that Jesus was arrested. He's praying in the garden, and the, the, the magistrates, the guards, they come to take him away, and this is what happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And the third snapshot comes shortly after that when they're looking for some of Jesus' followers and fingers are being pointed and accusations are being made and people point to Peter and they say, hey, we know you. You're with Jesus. You're one of his guys, aren't you? And Peter says, no, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. He saw that they took Jesus away and they're like, no, 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 you too. We probably should arrest you too, right? Peter's like, no, 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 no. I don't know the guy. He denies Jesus three times this famous story. So from these three snapshots of Peter's actions and his character, you might think, wow, this guy Peter sounds like he is allergic to suffering. Sounds like he will do anything at any cost to avoid discomfort. And so if you go, if you see these snapshots and you open up first Peter, you might expect the message in there to be something like avoid all suffering. Don't be uncomfortable. Whatever you do, you can run away, you can, you can change the course, you don't have to sacrifice. But that's not what we get when we read 1 Peter. In fact, it's the opposite. There is a very big emphasis on suffering and enduring through trials from this guy Peter, who seemed kind of like a coward, seemed kind of like he didn't get what Jesus was laying down. Here's, he says things like this in 1 Peter. It's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. In chapter 3 of his letter, he says, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Oh, so it's a good thing now. Chapter 4, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is a big change from the Peter that we saw in the snapshots. First Peter, Peter, seems a lot more okay with suffering and dealing with trouble than he did in the Gospels. So we should ask ourselves, what changed for Peter? What happened in his life that gave him this shift in perspective? I want to suggest three things real quickly. One thing that changed was time. Time passed. We don't know exactly when the letter of 1 Peter was written, but we think that it was something like 30 or 40 years after the events that we read about in the Gospels. Time. The wisdom of experience. The benefit of hindsight. We can look back and see, wow, maybe I didn't have it all together back then. That's one thing that changed in Peter's life. Kind of like this morning, we are going to look back at our graduating high school seniors. We're going to have a slideshow in a few minutes, and we're going to see, man, look at all this time that has passed. They used to be itty-bitty babies. Now look at them. They're grown up. They're changed. That happened to Peter as well. And that's just one factor. A second thing that I think brought Peter from this guy to this guy was witnessing the suffering of Jesus. We saw Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter said, no, that can't be part of the plan. That doesn't make any sense for me. And Jesus rebukes him and says, you don't have the things of God in mind. But then he watched Jesus on the cross. He'd heard about Jesus suffering, and he'd, he'd witnessed some of Jesus' sacrificial nature. But when he saw Jesus lay down his life, I think something clicked for Peter. And he goes, oh, now I understand. His encounter with Jesus and specifically seeing the cross and the resurrection. That's something that changed Peter. And the third thing that changed in Peter's life was the Holy Spirit. Yes, time is something that made Peter older and wiser and more mature, but there's also kind of an immediate change that we see from the end of the Gospels to the very beginning of the book of Acts. If you read Acts 1, you see Peter and the other apostles behind locked doors, and they're scared, and they're not sure what they're supposed to do. And then you go to Acts 3, 4, and 5, and you see them going to jail for preaching the Gospels. And they're being beaten, and they're celebrating. Hey, that's okay. We're suffering like Jesus suffered. Something happened in the short term as well. What happened between Acts 1 and Acts 3? Well, this is an easy one. Acts 2 happened. <laughs> but what happened in Acts 2? That's when the Holy Spirit of God came down at Pentecost on the church. The comforter and the counselor and the helper that Jesus promised. He said, this is going to be the Spirit of God that lives inside you and it's going to steer you. It's going to embolden you. And that's something that happened to Peter that's pretty significant. So we read the new Peter in his letter. We get the mature Peter, the, the Jesus-exposed Peter, and the Holy Spirit-filled Peter when we study 1 Peter together. It's a letter about how encountering Jesus and receiving his Holy Spirit can and should transform us. And it's a letter of encouragement to people who are out there wondering, is following Jesus still worth it? Because it's getting hard. I'm not being celebrated for trusting in Jesus and for listening to God. It, should I keep doing this or should I find an easier path? Peter's letter says, no, you should keep going. It's an encouragement to Christians. It's, it's like a boost. I don't know if any of you have ever participated in any endurance challenges like a Spartan race or a Tough Mudder competition. I certainly haven't, uh, but I know people who have. And it's interesting that when I 
talk to them about their experience. It's like a grueling obstacle course where they have to go over walls and crawl through the mud and eat spicy things. It's just, it's just, it's kind of a, it's a test to see who can make it to the end. And what I've heard from them is the best part of these kinds of endurance races is the camaraderie that they experience. They go there by themselves, but by the end, they have a band of helpers. They have a, a cohort that they've moved through this course with. People who have boosted each other up over the walls. They've encouraged each other and said, keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. You can do it. And you're like, who is this guy? I've never met you before. People will sacrifice their own races and their own finishing times so that they can stop and help you accomplish the goal as well. That sounds great. Makes me want to do a Tough Mudder competition, but I probably still won't. <laughs> but that's kind of what you get from Peter in his letter. You get this encouragement. Don't stop. Don't give up. Jesus believes in you. And that's the encouragement that we want to give to our graduating high school seniors today. Don't stop. Don't give up in your faith because Jesus believes in you. And we believe in you as well. We need to be encouraging to these young people. Church, whether they have graduated, are about to graduate, or someday will graduate, it is the responsibility of the entire congregation to give them a boost, to give them our prayers, to get to know them, and to encourage them. And we can ask ourselves this morning, have we done that? Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We had a great big year of not gathering together in the middle of this, this last uh, group of students who are graduating, so it's been more challenging. And you might answer that question and say, well, yeah, I support our young people by supporting Justin. <laughs> Justin is the youth minister, and he's doing a great job. And Justin is doing a great job, but I want to submit Justin is not the youth minister. Justin is a youth minister in this congregation. And we all have a responsibility to set an example of faith to our young people, to be in relationship with them, to encourage them and let them know that we are for them and we are with them. I remember when Lisa and I were in college, we were still dating at the time, and we were at the mailboxes one day. She was checking her mail. She got a card uh, from somebody from her parents' church, and uh, she read it, and it was an encouragement card saying, hey, Lisa, I'm praying for you, and uh, I hope you're doing well in school. And I said, oh, that's nice. Who's that from? And she's like, I don't know. It's some lady from my parents' church, and I've only met her a couple times. Her name is Madeline Johns. And I said, well, that's really nice. That's really sweet of her to do that. We were like, we don't really know who that is. We both had the privilege of being able to know Madeline Johns more after that moment. But it's a great example of somebody saying to somebody that maybe they don't even know very well, but saying, I am praying for you, I am rooting for you, and if you need me, I am here for you. That's what we need to say to all of our young people, and to all of our old people too, but for now, we're talking about the young people. But that's what Peter is saying to the Christians in the first century, and that's a message that we could use today too. That's why I'm excited to study 1 Peter together. So I want to encourage you, read this letter on your own. Read it sometime this week, or read it every day this week. It's real short. It's like five chapters you can sit down and read it in about 15 minutes. It's going to inspire us to greater unity and to a greater understanding of the significance and the value of our faith. And it's going to give us more confidence in Jesus. 
which is a good thing to have because Jesus is confident in us. That's something that we need to know today. Even if we feel like he shouldn't be, Jesus is. Because Jesus is the kind of Lord who takes a knucklehead like Peter and says, I believe in you. I can work with you, even you. And as we read the, the New Testament and the letters, we realize Peter didn't start out as Peter. Peter is his nickname. Jesus gave him this nickname, Petros, and it means rock. It's this foundation. You might think, oh, he called him Rocky, like, oh, you're kind of a rocky guy. You're <laughs> shaky, and I don't know if I can trust you. That's not what he meant when he said Rocky. He said, you, you, you can have a solid faith. On this rock, I am going to build my church. Wait, even with these snapshots, even with this fear messing up all the time? Yeah. Jesus said, sure, I can work with that. That's good news for us. Jesus can work with us, and we can have solid faith as well. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for this encouragement that we find in 1 Peter. We thank you for the transformation we see in Peter's life. We thank you this morning as we celebrate our graduating seniors for the transformation that we've seen in them and the promise that you are continuing to be with them, to grow their faith and to not give up on them. And I'm thankful for that, that you have never given up on me. So as we celebrate the accomplishments that they've made this morning, we, we also acknowledge uh, the opportunity that we have to, to love and support and encourage them. And we ask this morning, Lord, will you give them, Lord, will you give us a more solid faith? Lord, will you empower us and embolden us to reach out to people that maybe we don't even know very well, to encourage them as we work together to bring glory to your name? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.